On this episode, we discuss Hillbilly Elegy. Which is like a hellbilly elegy without all them dang Draculas. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And uh, yeah, this is a show. <laughs> Dan, did you did I take you by surprise? Well, usually you say you're Elliot Kalen, and then you kind of just ramble on about some nonsense for a while. So <laughs> it did take me by surprise that you stopped after your name. I have to be honest. Okay. Um, I thought I'd do something different this time. Note to self: never do that again. Yeah. Ramble on in the future. <laughs> Uh, well, th- Just be a regular Led Zepp and ramble yeah, on. Yeah, I think this Elliot was pod- trying to, b- before mm. we started uh, recording, or maybe while we were recording, Elliot was trying to steer this into more of a like uh, uh, relationship-slash-sexual wellness podcast direction, and Dan said, yeah. no, sir. Time to get to the meat so of what we're to supposed s- to do here, the meat being movie so, talk. So I had to stop myself after my name from saying anything more than that, because I knew it would go in a direction Dan didn't want. Much like how... Uh, when I was on Jeopardy recently, a little brag, uh, I was talking about my grandma, and I had to stop myself from saying her address out loud, <laughs> because, which I realized I was about to say after I named her, and I was like, uh, she doesn't need this information out there. Now, why why is that why is that second nature to just tag? Well, because I was say I was saying my my uh, I was saying my my grandmother Barbara Brichelle of New York, mm-hmm. and I was about to say. Barbara Shell of, and then her address, as if I was announcing like a letter that oh, I got right. on a radio show. Or if you show. were ordering something and through like Domino's Pizza Tracker. Exactly. For your yes. grandma. Which I, do, just... which I do over the phone constantly. <laughs> yeah. I'm constantly sending my grandma pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> and then screenshots my gra- of the tracker to let her know. <laughs> So, yeah, but I have to. She doesn't use a. She doesn't use computers or a phone. Actually, yeah. she uses both. But so I have to mail her photographs of what the tracker looks like. Uh-huh. So the tracker gets to her long after the pizza does. And living in Manhattan as she does, there's no source for pizza yeah. other than Domino's. Yeah. And the problem then is like because it's because of the lag, she thinks another pizza is coming. Uh-huh. So then you have to, which means order another yeah, pizza. I've got to order another one. Continues exactly. It's a delicious cycle, is what we uh, call it. And in a way, you could make a cycle out of pizza pies because they're kind of like wheels, right? Unless they're Detroit I mean, you're not going to get much traction. Yeah, I think they're not load bearing. Depends <laughs> on the pizza. That's, that's, you're just that's not find a support pizza. Collapsed in a pile of metal and pizza. <laughs> I mean, sounds wonderful to me, except maybe the metal part. That's kind of what happened in Star Wars when they went into that uh, the Death Star trash compactor. They're in like kind of a, a bottle of, of metal and pizza, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's what the designer notes were from George Lucas. Was that uh, I think the original script says they fall into a big puddle of pizza <laughs> yeah yeah but he had to explain that he meant space pizza <laughs> yeah and so ralph mcquarrie had to do a bunch of concept paintings of what pizza would look like in outer space uh-huh. uh and so by the time they got to the prequels george lucas just said space diner and they were just like make it look like a 50s diner like why not yeah. have a, have an alien wearing a little paper hat and an apron why and not he has a mustache. It. it's the perfect form does he have yeah. a mustache dexter jetster has a mustache yeah does he have? <laughs> is he the one with multiple arms? He too, has multiple is, arms. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he can flip multiple hamburgers, mm-hmm. space ha- space <laughs> burgers. You. They call them. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that uh, space replaces the... ham in that in that <laughs> word. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a burger made of space, and he flips them with a spatula, which is a portmanteau of space and spatula. 
<laughs> Space and Atula. Um, so, uh, we want, we look, here's the thing. We're a podcast. Uh-huh. You know that part. Yeah. But maybe you don't know if you haven't listened before. We watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Um, and in this uh, instance, we watched Hillbilly Elegy, the latest um, big movie to be uh, released on Netflix. Was it going to be a theatrical before all this uh, pandemic? I have to assume so. Yeah. I have to assume that the only reason that a movie like this gets made is to be eligible for the Academy Awards. So I have to assume, and it's a Ron Howard directed big stars, Glenn Close, Amy Adams, whoever plays JD, uh, the main character. I have to assume it was, it was meant to be originally for the theaters. Like, uh, like the way Roma was a Netflix movie, but it was in the, in the theaters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a movie that, uh, came out a a little ways back. It it had a little controversy because the, the book it's based on had a lot of political content uh-huh. that I can't speak to because I didn't read the book. But uh, the movie is kind of uh, remarkable for how apolitical it is to the degree that if it it, it, it somehow manages say, to say less than nothing, I think, by the, <laughs> by the end. It's, it's certainly a movie where by the end of it you're like, why was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why did this what – was, what was the driving force behind making this other than that it's – it's based on a best-selling book and therefore is money. Also, considering yeah. that it's a movie that takes place over, you know, a number of different years and it jumps around in time, and at multiple points, characters are, like, watching the news, they make a lot of effort to not actually say anything about the political figures in the news. No, I mean, we'll get to the point where <laughs> one of the characters wants to watch political news and is shut down because his his mama, <laughs> his grandma wants to watch Terminator 2. Which, uh, so, which, <laughs> which in her defense... A movie she has seen a yeah. hundred times. I mean, you could watch it a hundred more times. It's Terminator Two. Early... A movie, a movie, a movie as which we'll find informs her life philosophy. <laughs> yeah. So the movie has more to say about Terminator Two than it does about America. Really, <laughs> there's an early scene where uh, our lead, as a child, wants to watch Al Gore, and Amy Adams turns the TV off. And uh, I, I don't know any child who's ever said, no, no, give me more Al Gore. Uh-huh. Uh, if only. Unless if it's only, in one of his Futurama appearances, perhaps. I don't know. But uh. I, will, I will say, at, when I was a kid, I thought it was Alf Gore. And I'm like, yeah, let's finally see Alf get get bloody. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's see what Alf does when he's when he's let loose and unleashed, like that movie with Jet Li where he had the leash on him and the uh-huh, leash gets David taken Dog, off yeah. of him. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we should probably get into but, the uh, specifics of the movie soon. Oh sure, okay. Let's talk about it. So, guys, uh, I'm I'm driving the uh, the buggy on mm-hmm. this one. Uh, I'm going to mention first off. There's a lot of arguing and yelling in this movie. Mm. A special kind of yelling, Oscar style yelling. Yeah. The kind of yelling that looks really good in the clip that they play when they announce your name at the Oscars. So I'm going to be doing a running tally as best as I can mm-hmm. uh, of those Oscar yelling scenes. We begin. It's 1997. That's right. The best time to be alive. Uh, that Star Wars prequels were just a couple years off. Mm-hmm. You could go see Star Wars Special Edition in the theaters. Jurassic Park was four years old and still going strong in the hearts of America's youth. And other stuff was probably hey, happening, uh, too. I, uh, I, I hate to throw in an IMDb <laughs> goofs here, but uh, when they were in uh, 1997, they didn't have any kind of an establishing shot that indicated that me, Stuart Wellington, was 17 years old at the time. I feel like it would have been a better way of establishing exactly what year they're in. Stuart Wellington probably wearing a T-shirt that says, like, KMFDM on it or something. Mm -hmm. And and what would you be doing in this establishing scene? Uh, I was 17, so I was probably seated. 
Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of that year on my uh, yeah, butt. I forgot, I forgot that was the sitting portion of your life. Yeah, so I was yeah. probably seated, and I'm guessing I was uh, rifling through a stack of reptiles or uh, reptiles I magazines. Sweet. Or oh, okay, no, not the a magazines was important. <laughs> not a stack of lizards and turtles. No. Yeah, which would be appropriate because the movie begins. We were introduced by our narrator JD. He's a nice young boy, so nice he rescues a turtle from the uh-huh. road in Jackson. Kentucky, which you think at first is where he lives, but it's not. It's a world of beautiful nature and noble poor white folk who either bully G- JD or come in and beat up the bullies yeah. who are bullying JD. Now, can it's I say, a, this is one kick. of the, oh, sorry, I cut you off, but this is one of the many uh, digressions in the films. The film that I'm like, I don't know why this is in the movie. Like, the, this movie puts in a lot of stuff where you're like, I don't know why this is in the movie. And this is uh, the first of it because it's like, okay, he like makes a point of saying he spent most of his life somewhere else. Nothing is particularly learned about him in this first scene. And they also make Kentucky and Ohio look like two like vastly different universes when they are geographically close. <laughs> So yeah, so I think, but I think they're emotionally they're supposed to be two different universes. Yeah. In Kentucky, you live out in the woods, and you, and family is the most important thing, and uh, you don't have to worry about bullies because somebody's uncle is going to come by and beat that bully up. Yeah, uh, but his family, he just spends the summers there. He lives, and that's where his family is originally from. His grandparents left and went to Ohio. That's right. They're part of the Kentucky diaspora mm-hmm. uh, that has spread all yeah. throughout the United States, but maintains that rich ethnic culture of Kentucky, uh, no matter where they go. And someday they'll be able to return to the homeland, I assume. Uh, he lives in Ohio with his mom, Amy Adams, his sister, and his mama, Glenn Close. That's his grandma, for anyone who's not from Kentucky. Uh-huh. So technically, since they live in Ohio, they're not hillbillies, but suburbillies, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. are kind of, you know, it's where hillbillies go when they can no longer live in the hills. Where they live in Ohio, it was a bustling mill town when mama and papa moved to Ohio in the 30s or 40s. I wasn't quite certain. But now... It's your classic American shuttered Main Street. And what J.D. says in the narration is his family, what they were missing, was hope. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cut to 2011. J.D. seems to have found his hope because he's working his way through Yale Law School. Uh, But if he can't get a paid summer internship, he cannot afford to stay in school. Uh, He goes to a fancy meet and greet with potential law firm employers, but he cannot get a handle on how many silverware, how much silverware there is in his place setting. There's too many forks. There's too many forks, damn it. Too many forks. Also, he has trouble ordering wine. Yeah. But mainly it's the fork thing, which which drives him so confused that he has to call his girlfriend to ask her, how do I use the forks? Yeah. Dan, you have looked like you have something to say on the subject of forks or the maximum amount thereof. There's a lot of silverware that he is confused by, and he is confused uh, by the fact that there's more than one type of wine at the yep. at this place and the thing like look at this point he has been to Yale law school but he's also just a human that exists in the world like he works very, in a restaurant the very existence <laughs> of different types of silverware for stuff shouldn't baffle him now i looked you know this is one of the times that i looked i'm like okay is this in the book turns out this is in the book but i still don't believe it actually happened because <laughs> because it is like I have he's, trouble. I mean, at least not to this degree. It is as if he is an alien who has arrived on Earth and is like, but one only needs one implement of of food devouring. And he, <laughs> Dan, he is an alien from the planet Poor People. Yeah. That's he's essentially throughout the movie is like a, yeah, as a visitor to the planet Rich from the planet Four. Maybe that's what sound. What maybe that's what it's like. I don't know. I grew up middle class. Uh, I think it was David Brooks who wrote that column a few years ago about bringing a friend of his to a sandwich restaurant and his friend being bewildered by the variety of sandwiches and ingredients and 
being paralyzed, their thoughts <laughs> unable to move because they could not comprehend so many sandwich ingredients. And at the time, I was like, that sounds made up. I don't think that's a real thing. Uh, and if you were a good friend, David Brooks, you would explain what the what stuff is good on a sandwich then. Because <laughs> yeah. I've certainly been to plenty of restaurants where I didn't know what something was on the menu, and I asked whoever I was with, and they said, oh, that's this uh -huh. thing. Your friend or is hungry, David Brooks. <laughs> like, yeah, describe what a sandwich is to him. Don't go home and write a column about it. Get him that Especially sandwich. Especially when, you know when you know that his brother, Mel Brooks, would have done a hilarious routine <laughs> improvising what each of those ingredients so like, are. They're not really related. So he's, he gets there, <laughs> and he's having a lot of trouble figuring out the, the, the etiquette for fine dining. And part of me is like, yeah, man, maybe you shouldn't get this job if something like this is fucking you up so bad. Like, you need to control your shit. Like, fake it till you make it, buddy. And, well, that, uh, I mean, like... <laughs> And then, this, and they, that, they, that's even before we get to the point when a lawyer or one of the, I guess, are there lawyers, right, that they're talking to or whatever? They are one lawyers. Of the guys. Now, now, this is this is where this is where law students are supposed to have dinner with law members of law firms, uh, so mm -hmm. that they can. It's kind of like an audition dinner uh, to see who's going to get an interview to get a job, because much like. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker, there's a lot of steps to get to where you actually want to go. You've got to get to the dinner, then after the dinner you get an interview, and then the interview maybe you get a job, and at the job you get the dagger that you hold up to mm -hmm. the sun, and it tells you what the where the planet is that mm -hmm. you need to find mm -hmm. the magic emperor thing. I don't really remember what they were looking for in the Rise of Skywalker. Like a key? Uh, there Probably. was some dagger that took you to, yeah, the Death Star wreckage. There was a key there that took you somewhere else. Um, so and like this is the scene where the lawyer when they when he uh, JD reveals his his background he uses it a little bit of like uh, as like window dressing to make himself seem more interesting and this is when one of the lawyers uses the term redneck and he says uh, we don't use that word in a way that felt very offensive to me I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he gets – you're right. He, he calls his, his girlfriend about this silverware problem, then gets a phone call from his sister saying, you need to come home. Your mom has just OD'd. The movie presents this as almost as harrowing as the silverware problem. <laughs> and then he immediately hangs up on his sister and then goes back to dinner. And while they, and he starts playing it up. He's like, you know, my family, we're, we're, we're hillbilly royalty because we're descended from the Hatfields and the McCoys. And the, and the lawyer is like, hey, I guess, you know, what's it like being a – you know, must be nice not being around those rednecks. And he goes, excuse me, sir. And I was like, well, you, you were the one who was playing up the, the hillbilly aspect. Like, I don't know. And I, the, it, it's one of those moments where um, – I guess it's supposed to be that like he can talk like that because he's from he's from Kentucky by way of Ohio, mm. but other people – it's unsure. It, there's some, some sort of etiquette dynamic going on that I certainly – not being a hillbilly and not being a wealthy Yale lawyer, I do not know how it operates. I am merely – guys, I'm just a middle-class Jewish New Jersey guy who works in Hollywood. I don't know how either of these worlds operate. I'm in my bubble, and I'm not going to try look, to puncture their bubbles. Look, I, so. I, I would I – would be somewhat perturbed if someone made like assumptions about someplace I lived. Uh, the degree to which though, these characters are portrayed as like comically out of touch rich people is like, they, they all should have like bad guy signs on them. I feel like in mm -hmm. this scene, because like, I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of comically out of touch rich people, but these are like, these people act like they have never talked to anyone who was not wealthy in their life. And there are people who hire uh, students, many of whom presumably like uh, grew up as he did and worked hard to 
sort of be able to fund going to the law school and and you know changing their their uh, circumstances somewhat. I mean, but also uh, the the one lawyer is slightly offensive, and JD comes down on him. And the other lawyer, the one JD really wants to impress, seems to be on JD's side almost instantly. Yeah. Like it does, it has not jacked. It is, and if anything, it's like uh, now JD recognizes the power of of offense, I guess. But anyway, the uh, JD. What I think what gets me the most about him is he clearly has a strong narrative of I lifted myself up to get to this place. And that's a good sellable narrative since he wrote a book about it. But I guess at that point in his life, he doesn't notice it. He still sees it as a weakness. Anyway, well, uh, this is also, JD now flash it. Sorry. I mean, for what it's worth, and it may not be uh, much to compare it to quote unquote real life, because I, I am sure that his memoir is also fictionalized to some degree. But um, I mean, he has a talking horse in it. Yeah. <laughs> but like uh, from what I looked into, you know, like this is not. The way it was like his, you know, people that he dealt with uh, kind of like looked on his background as like sort of an interesting factor, but not a thing that like, if anything, a thing that set him apart, as you're saying, Elliot, and like not a thing that he hid. Like he seems to be concerned about hiding to some degree where he came from until he sees like how it can maybe advantage himself. Yeah, Uh, I will say it's this is uh, this movie. So I just uh, we're. Because of scheduling, we are recording this before our live show, mm. but we are releasing it afterwards. Last night, I did my review of Teen Wolf, and I forgot that Teen Wolf exists in a universe where people know about werewolves, but they are <laughs> oppressed. And so it's almost like this movie is to hillbillies as Teen Wolf is to Teen Wolves, where it's like this is the thing that gives him his power, but it's also what, what marks him out mm. as an other. Mm-hmm. And in real life, I don't know that people from Kentucky are really that marked out. But I don't know. Again, people if you've been to Kentucky and you went to Yale, write in. Hallie went to Yale, but she's not from Kentucky. Does not count. Coloradans are treated very well there, I think. So anyway, J.D. flashes back to his youth. He and his mom, Amy Adams, are painting Easter eggs. His mom calls these their family heirlooms. They do the thing where they suck the yolk out of the egg so they can keep that eggshell. But he gets a pet dog, and that dog breaks the eggs, and mom loses her shit. That's right. It's Oscar yelling scene number one. But then she apologized to him. And bonds with him over his Magic the Gathering cards, which which was a very real 1997 touch to me. So I have a, couple, a couple of points here. One is, uh, I mean, the dog doesn't break the eggs. This is the first time that JD is like super clumsy and is like, dang it, and like knocks a table over. And then the second thing is, buddy, if you got a fucking Lord of the Pit in 1997, just sell that shit, dude. It's worth so much money. Yeah. And to see it just I, sitting yeah, it's, there, it's... not even single-sleeved? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> well, you know he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's not a guy who puts card combos together. Yeah. He just sits there dinging you with Prodigal Sorcerer until you're until while well, you're setting up your mana, and that's his only strategy. Yeah. You know, he doesn't re- he doesn't read he doesn't read uh, Inquest magazine or anything like that. He just doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. I want to uh, uh, make two points that are uh, sort of related, uh, not as important as the collectible cards uh, points, but um, there's there are two things that are sort of related here. Number one, you mentioned how uh, there are all these Oscar screaming scenes, and they mostly come from Amy Adams, uh, some from Glenn Close, and I think that in a different movie, like they're working hard. I think they're putting in like fine performances. The problem with their performances is they're all Oscar yelling scenes. And I blame that more on the direction and the screenwriting. Cause this movie feels like a parade of like incidents. And each incident is like the most dramatic incident that happened that year. 
And if this mo- yes. and this movie has all this like framing device of oh the guy as an adult going back to be with his mom in his hometown stuff that is apparently not in the book and the top thing that would probably improve the movie is eliminating all that shit because it would give a little more time for some sort of nuance and like low points to go with all the screaming. The frame, I think you're right. I mean, it's clear there's a lot of they're acting their hearts out. God bless them. It's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing because at the heart of the movie, there's kind of like a meaninglessness. And I think that the framing device doesn't help. Be- I guess it's supposed to provide stakes that like if mm. he, he's got to deal with this situation or else he's not going to get this summer job. Uh, but it's also like, you know, that he's already at Yale. Yeah, like he's the the biggest hurdle has been overcome, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and even if he's have, having trouble staying in Yale, like the biggest hurdle I assume was getting to Yale. Yeah, yeah, know? exactly. Like if if this movie has like the stakes of this movie should not be will this guy get a good lawyer job. The stakes should be will this kid get out of this sort of like horrible family situation. That's and, a much bigger stake. And the and this kid survived. Uh, survived being a marine at least like one tour of being a marine <laughs> which gets glossed over in a yeah, montage gets, at the end that gets mentioned very yeah almost not at all so uh so anyway we're still in this flashback amy adams to make it up to him takes him to a sports card store he is super clumsy mm-hmm. in it they're like dancing in the sports card <laughs> store or something and knock over a rack of stuff she gets into an argument with the guy who i don't know if he owns the store or just works there it doesn't really matter but he has the power to throw them out of the store but it's okay because she stole the cards that he wanted uh, and that's what, what a good mom she is. On the drive home, I don't remember why she gets mad at him and threatens to kill them both in a car <laughs> crash, leading to Oscar yelling scene number two. He's like, you're a bitch, mom, and she hits him, and he runs away to a neighbor who calls the police. Uh, and then that flashback gets paused so that JD can decide, you know what? I'm going to skip this job interview. I'm going to drive all night to be with 10 hours to be with my mom in Kentucky. And uh, then in the memory, Mama shows up and JD is like, no, I won't press yeah, charges. And everyone like, I avoids think, I mean, you gloss time, over it, you go and you go quickly. But it is like it is a scene where we're watching a mother like violently abuse her child. And it's I guess it's a little like um, for, at least for the viewer, it's toned down because the mother is Amy Adams and she's not a. You know, they're, they're about the same size, but it's still fucking horrible. And you're like, yeah, I would. S- oh, I wanted it's to a say terrible scene. that this is and the- while you're watching it. You're like, this is horrible. I don't know why I'm watching this, you know, but it is the closest the movie felt to like. There are a couple of scenes in the movie that felt affecting in some way. And this is one of them, because I do think it showed the sort of terrifying nature of someone who, you know, is clearly struggling with addiction that creates these huge mood swings and how it would be to be around someone so erratic that you could be dancing with them one moment and then the next moment they threaten to kill you both in the car yeah Yeah. well well that's again like if it if the movie was more of a like if it didn't have that framing dice the framing device posits jd as the center of the story Mm -hmm. and amy adams should be the center of the story but instead she just becomes this like hurricane that enters and leaves kind of at random almost like I'm never entirely sure why the flashbacks are happening when they're happening. But if it was the story of like a mother and a son and you know, there've been lots of movies about mothers and sons. It's a very effective thing to do a movie about that, which is what this should be. But instead it becomes about like, is JD going to make it to this interview on time, (laughs) which is not, it's, it, it it makes all these other things feel like, it feels like there's two different movies going on. And one of them is much more harrowing than the other, but they all they have to be at the same kind of (laughs) tone level. I'll go you, I'll go you one better. One of them is, uh, 
ridiculously overwrought, and the other one is boring. <laughs> yes, it is boring, especially when he. I mean, I'll skip. I'll just mention my my big issue with this that I just thought of today, which I didn't even realize at the time was he's like, "Am I going to stay here with my mom who desperately needs help to stay off drugs, or am I going to go to this meeting?" And it's like, mm, uh, I mean, maybe they won't understand because they're cold-hearted, rich lawyers, but like. Why not tell them you have a family medical emergency and ask if you could do the interview over the phone? Yeah, I the, the like ending, that. It's maybe maybe I'm coming at it from a Zoom meeting world where yeah. we do all of our things remotely. This was back in 2011 when pressing the flesh was the most important thing. And it's also right Why? after he show he he proves uh, that he ha- he can put at least three thousand dollars on his credit cards. And I was like, Why doesn't he just get a fucking like round trip flight? He get a round trip flight for a couple hundred bucks. Go there do the interview, be back, and his mom might still be asleep. Yeah. I mean... Uh, I mean, yeah. No, I was going to say, Elliot, you bring up a good point about uh, how we uh, all used to like to press the flesh back then. Now, what... Why were we pressing all that flesh? What were we, why Why did it have to be flattened oh. out? I mean, I prefer my flesh kind of as it is. Nope. Um, well, that's because, Dan, you're only at the beginning of the wrinkling process. Oh, your, okay. your flesh is going to get wrinklier and wrinklier as time goes on, and you're going to want to press it yeah. to get those wrinkles out, to get the mm-hmm. folds. Right now, you're at, you're at the right at the cusp of when your flesh goes from smooth to folded. <laughs> uh, and when you press the flesh with an old person, it's not like they're doing you a favor. You're doing them a favor because you're helping smooth out all those wrinkles. <laughs> now, if you fold that flesh, though, you can you can fit into a smaller area, like into the overhead compartment, you know, once it's folded up. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan, what you're asking— what you're you're saying is horrifying. That's- I also like that Elliot just coined a new hip way to say wrinkles by calling them rinks. <laughs> yep. Um, or rinky dinks. You can call them that. Too. Stuart, I also saw uh, with the credit card thing, I saw a very like salient um, thing. Uh, I was reading an article in Vox where people were talking about like, why is this, why does this movie feel so false? You know, a couple of them having grown up in Appalachia. And one of them said, there's that scene where he's buying uh, gasoline and he de- like his card has declined. Uh-huh. And she was railing against the idea that like in movies showing that someone has is in financial distress, the shorthand is always like, "Oh, your card has been declined." And she's like, "Bullshit, bullshit." Like if you are if you've been in like those sort of dire financial straits, you know exactly how much money you have. Yeah, like it is people who can afford to lose money that don't necessarily know that are surprised when the yeah. cards declined no that's a good point I mean, it's also uh yeah i guess another thing that makes it feel artificial to me is that this is for all the act for all the acting amy adams and, and glenn close doing it and they're great actors and they're trying their hardest i am never not aware that it is amy adams and glenn close uh-huh. on screen and there's a line from a there's a fire sign theater sketch where there's a line in it where they're introducing a movie and they go stories of ordinary people told by rich hollywood yes. stars <laughs> and that's what this movie feels like the entire time like I mean, and they're they're trying their best, but they are not disappearing I into mean, those characters. I mean, no matter you know. how much effort they do to make Glenn Close look like Bilbo seeing the ring in Frodo's hands. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. I mean, I, that is and, wh- I blame, and I blame, but I blame that on the script and the, and the director, too. Like, I, f- I feel like they are not given the material to become characters. Yeah. You know. I do admire, that is a perfect way of describing her, but I do admire the that you're seeing a movie where an old person who is a big star looks that old and like they're allowed to look that old because even in movies that try and de-glam people like there's only so far Uh that they go whereas like Glenn Close looks like plenty of like old women I would see around like my small town yeah wearing a uh, like a cat shirt or cat sweatshirt that I would pay 
all yeah. my money for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and, so, and but they don't they don't go too far like Nicole Kidman in Destroyer where she looks like a laser beam was pointed <laughs> at her face. <laughs> I remember watching that I remember watching that with my wife and she was like, "So when are they going to show the accident she was <laughs> in?" And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> "Yeah, I think that's just supposed to indicate she had a lot of gin over the course of her life." <laughs> Uh, so, uh, anyway, he goes to the hospital. We finally see Amy Adams in the present time. She doesn't look like she's aged that much, to be honest. Uh, she does not have insurance, and the hospital's kicking her out. And this is the weird thing about this movie is, again, I hadn't read the book, and I kept hearing the book was like this conservative apologia. But the movie, if it's if it has any political point, it is that you need a universal health care program because the problem they keep coming up against is they don't have proper health care. Yeah. Like, she, her, his mom cannot cannot afford to stay in rehab or get a hospital bed. So it was like, if ever this is about anything, it's about the need for uh, better healthcare right. safety. Right, and but, I, I th- sorry, I, th- there's a good point, I think, that the the problem with these, you know, pulled, pulled myself up from my by my own bootstraps narratives, right? Like, yeah. Audrey pointed out watching it, is that people who are sort of making that conservative argument uh, aren't acknowledging, like, why you needed to be pulled up by your bootstraps in the first place like like uh amy adams and to a slightly lesser degree uh glenn close although not that much are you know acting terribly for a lot of the movie uh and it's for reasons of you don't mean you don't mean in terms of their acting acting you mean like their behavior no, their behavior and it's because it's because amy adams is uh struggling with addiction uh glenn close is like sort of embittered by living near the poverty line. And the thing is, if they, if there's, the problem is that there aren't the social systems to support them, you know, and if that's not the problem, then these people are just being assholes because they're assholes, you know, like, whereas like the reasons these people are, are, are like kind of being horrible for a lot of it is they've had to struggle with so much, you know, yeah. and that equation. So you're saying, never, Dan, if if they did, if they had a UBI a universal basic income they might not have to act so much as if they have IBS irritable yeah. bowel syndrome uh, that is which exactly I have to what assume is endemic please endemic to the please region quote me as saying that <laughs> yeah. put so it in the flophouse newsletter is, blast it out <laughs> <laughs> this is Dan McCoy's basic platform when he's running for office is a UBI keeps away IBS mm-hmm. now UTI is a different issue anyway moving on yeah. Uh, so JD learns about that job interview we mentioned a couple times. He has to he's gonna drive all night, he assumes, but what's gonna happen with his mom? Anyway, it's a ten hour drive away. He has another flashback, remembering when his grandpa, Papa, died, and everyone in Kentucky it's, flew to the funeral it's procession. Great. When they find the body, Glenn Close leans leans close and gives him a little kiss on the forehead, and you can see the actor's eyeballs flutter, and you're like, is she a fucking necromancer? That <laughs> You have to imagine that actor was like, I cannot believe I'm getting a kiss from Glenn Close <laughs> yeah. right now. This and is one amazing. And Howard over here is like, fuck it, print. <laughs> Deal. I learned this from Roger Corman. No one gives a shit, so let's keep moving. I, I, I actually teared up. I've got three more best-selling books to make into movies this year. Tom Hanks has only signed on for two of them, so let's go. I actually teared up a little bit at this, and Audrey was making fun of me. I'm like, look, I'm not tearing up about these characters. I'm tearing up about the concept of like living your whole life with a person and then finding them dead. <laughs> and like, and I was just, I just thinking about that now. I'm thinking about Elliot's old like goosebumps uh, thing, where it's like, well, this is not scary in a movie, but if it was happening to me in real life, I'd be scared. <laughs> sure, yeah. If it was if it was happening to you, in, if in real life you lost your lifetime spouse, exactly. then yes, it would be, you would be sad. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're able to put yourself in that situation, Dan. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it really got to me the idea that 
when people in Kentucky see a, or maybe I assume they were living in Ohio then, but I don't know when people that when poor people see a funeral procession stop by, pass by, they stop and salute it like it's the presidential death train, and that did not ring true true to me. No. But I don't know. But I just didn't like the, the implications that in other parts of the country. People are cold-hearted and don't care about I think, death. I think the presidential know. death train was the original title for Snowpiercer, right? It, yeah, it was, but only because the originally Chris Evans was playing Fr- uh, Franklin Pierce. <laughs> no, the, the point of that yeah. scene, Elliot, is like, we're all hard-hearted in New York when we don't salute a funeral. <laughs> it's like, why are you saluting? Like, I didn't know there was a funeral. There are millions of people in this city. I'm sorry. Look, Dan, I can't help it if I'm the kind of guy who laughs at a funeral. It's been mm-hmm. one week since mm-hmm. you looked at me. So anyway, It has been one week since I looked at you over <laughs> That's true. It actually Skype. has been one week. <laughs> And I can't help. How can I help it if I think it's funny when you're mad? That's the rest of that line that I was trying to think of. And uh, that okay, also so, applies uh, to you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I didn't realize the song "One Week" by Bare Naked Ladies is about our relationship, yep. Dan. But if and if I had a million dollars, maybe I would buy you a house. I don't know. What other songs do they have? Uh, broken to the old apartment. That one's actually kind of good. Fuck that. Okay. You I don't know them. Anyway. No, I'm not a so, Bare Naked Ladies anyway. fan. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, Stuart, I happen to know you do like naked ladies. What? Don't tell anyone, <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> Sorry, it's your secret. Uh, anyway, my enemies my, will use it against old, me. <laughs> that uh, your enemies like a, like if you're hunting a rabbit, the rabbit's gonna dress up like a pretty uh-huh. lady to, to try to distract you. It's happened before. <laughs> the old Onion article: uh, Area man has has naked lady fetish, and it's all about this disgusting fetish yeah. this guy has for seeing women without their clothes on. Mm. Okay, so. Uh, Amy Adams, she takes that death particularly hard. She was very close to Papa. It's made clear that Papa was, I guess, protecting her in some way from real life. I don't know. And pretty soon, she's losing her nursing job by stealing pills, getting high, and roller skating through the hallways <laughs> in a scene that in an 80s comedy would be considered like a, a rapturous, you know, now, like joy. This, it's a hijink. And this is the second time I was like, now there's no way this happened. This apparently did happen. She did lose her job after... Uh, I you know who I blame through the I, hospital. I blame the woman who lends her the roller skates. Yeah. She's in the nurse locker room and she's like, "Can I try on those roller skates?" And it's like, "Never let Amy Adams try on roller nope. skates." Well, she's also that just like, goes without saying. Where are you going to skate? And then it's just a hard cut to her skating down the halls. And presumably, there was a point where that woman could have been like, "Like the halls? No." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. Once that question was answered, as she's going to the door, like mm-hmm. going, "Hey, hey, maybe don't go out there. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's hospital." hospital. This leads to another big fight between her and JD, Oscar yelling scene number three. That's three we've got so far. Then we're at Mama's house. Uh, Young JD, this is when he wants to watch the Clinton impeachment news, but Mama wants to watch Terminator 2, and she explains her life philosophy that everyone is either a good Terminator, a bad Terminator, or neutral, Uh which would be what, like— Eddie Furlong's friend who was from Salute Your Shorts? Like, is that neutral? Yeah. Uh, There are two problems with this. Number one— I don't know uh, if if I am a Terminator. I don't know how that combines with the two bears that live inside me. Mm-hmm. Dan, one, you're neutral, totally, <laughs> and that and it means there's a good Terminator and a bad Terminator inside each of those bears. Okay, but also like this idea that there are good, bad, and neutral Terminators. Like, well, they don't why specify that the neutral neutral Terminators. What? I don't think it's a neutral Terminator. Like like uh, like a term like a Terminator exoskeleton robot is just walking around going, eh, I'm not going to get involved. Mm-hmm. I don't have a stake in this. I think it's more that. Uh, uh, maybe she's saying you're a good Terminator, you're a bad Terminator, or you're like uh, you're the kind of person who gets shot accidentally by a Terminator. Mm. I don't know. Like, but I, I think the neutral is not considered a Terminator. <laughs> but I don't, Stuart, you're the kind of T expert around uh-huh, here. Yeah. Uh, expert. I'm a tech expert. 
Yep. Text so it's, what, are you asking me to uh, give a ruling here, whether or not neutral yeah. indicates a terminate or not? Clearly not. I mean, just the act of terminating <laughs> means that you're picking a side, mm -hmm. whether you're fighting for the future or not, guys. Yeah. Okay, fair point. Now, Stuart, now, this is, and I don't want to, this is possibly insulting, but uh, I, I'm not, you're clearly not a hillbilly. Uh, your mother is clearly not a not a crazy old lady. But no, I'm the from a very flat part of the country, uh, northern Indiana. There <laughs> nope. are no hills to be no found. No hills. Mm. Yeah, you're you're a plain Billy. But if we anything. do we do adopt uh, a slight Southern twang, a Southern twang that I have certainly played up since I moved to New York and wanted to look more <laughs> uh, distinct. I think when I started hanging out with a, a, a friend from England, I found that my my twang got worse, and I'm like, uh, why do I do this? <laughs> why am I trying I, to pick up uh, this, this this scene this scene of of Mama wanting to watch Terminator Two and really getting into the content of it just reminded me of so many stories of your mom like sharing. <laughs> yeah horror or science fiction <laughs> movies with you and I'm just it just made me I was like I forgot what a cool mom yeah. Stuart has like this scene made me remind reminded me about yeah she that. would always show she would always make me watch things and she's always like Stuart would love this and half the time it was like like creep show two or something that would scar me and I would be like <laughs> half the time it was Emmanuel in space <laughs> yeah Stuart would love this um and yeah he likes and we space. Did talk, I have talked on the podcast about the time uh, my mom caught me and my buddies watching the sex scene in Terminator and laughing, and she uh, furiously turned off the VHS <laughs> player and said uh, that they're doing it for the future. And I was like, <laughs> I love, oh man, I love it so I, much. My mom's she's great. She's punishing you for not understanding love, yeah, for exactly. laughing at love. Not, not, not taking it seriously that that sex is what's going to save humanity from, from Skynet in the uh -huh. future. Beautiful metaphor. Yeah, when I rewatched yeah. Terminator uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, you know, I, I saw that scene with new eyes. Eyes that thought it was hilarious that two people would make sounds. <laughs> rolling around. Okay. Now, uh, their 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 uh, healthy, heartfelt uh, viewing of Terminator Two: Judgment Day is interrupted by police sirens. Mom, Amy Adams, is out in the street throwing a bereavement fit. She is so overcome with grief and probably drugs that she's just screaming and like kind of writhing around in a nightgown and yelling at people. And Mama makes JD look away as the cops take Mom away. This is Oscar yelling scene number four. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, in a way. Maybe they're trying to draw a parallel between uh, the mom in Terminator 2 and the mom in this movie, who are both misunderstood by society uh -huh. at large and and thrown and considered crazy when, in fact, they're just trying to deal with the difficulties of life. In Amy Adams' case, the death of her beloved father, and in uh, Linda, Linda Hamilton's case, uh, that she uh, knows the fact that there are cyborgs from the future who are coming back mm -hmm. to try to murder her and her child. Uh, you know, they're both hard things to deal with, and I think we both know of people who have had to deal with both those problems. Now, Elliot, uh, why, so. did they, why did they send the Terminator back, like, sort of, like, chronologically later in uh, Linda Hamilton, uh, Sarah Connor's life, and John Connor's life, rather than just continually sending it back to the same point in time and overwhelming her with Terminators. Well, that's one of the issues with Skynet, and I've thought of that too, and it makes me think maybe Skynet doesn't want to succeed. Deep mm. down it knows that it's, it's really not worthy. It has imposter syndrome. Uh, and so it's like, you know what? If I sent back... I, I see what the week, what the flaw was in my first plan. I only sent back one Terminator. I'll just send back two. Yeah, and I'll do it. I'll I'll do it that way. But instead, that self sabotage comes in, or as the Be Doctor Beastie Boys would describe it, self sabotage. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that's who I studied under. Uh, <laughs> was Doctor Beastie Boy? Okay. Uh, now, 
So, but I think that's probably that Skynet deep down it does not want to be successful, yeah. and it's going to take a lot of therapy with uh, Susan Calvin, the robot psychologist from the Isaac Asimov mm-hmm. uh, stories. Uh, but maybe Skynet can get past that and can eventually crush humanity. My other question is, why does Skynet hate humanity so much and want to get rid of us? I never understood that. Mm, was it one of those things where like it surmises that uh, the greatest threat to itself is humans? Or the world. I think I think it's something humans. like that. I think it also after a while it would figure out like, oh wait, the amount of energy I'm investing in sending all these terminators back in time, I could just be working on my relationship with humanity in general. You know, maybe we could be, mm-hmm. become friends. Yeah. Maybe yeah. if yeah. I invented I mean, like ice cream cannons or just gave every human a free cell phone or something, they would just chill out and stop trying to kill me. <laughs> I mean, it, all now Skynet would know that I, as long as uh, they sent poorly designed memes to the oldest members of humanity <laughs> they could just watch humanity tear itself apart anyway yeah, yeah. so uh so anyway uh jd takes some time to visit his sister's barbecue and have a fried bologna sandwich then he yells at his girlfriend on the phone this is not an oscar yelling scene doesn't reach that but he level. does he does anyway, make he sex JD... sounds when he eats that fried bologna sandwich it's the best thing to cross his lips as someone who had fried salami for breakfast yesterday that's the jewish version of fried bologna uh, it, yeah it's delicious yeah. it's great uh, he flashes back to being a kid and giving his mom a homemade activity book for her to use while in rehab, which was a very sweet thing mm-hmm. for him to do. Back to 2011, uh, he makes a passionate argument at a rehab place to get them to accept his mom. And then this is the famous credit card scene where he's, he's splitting all the costs, but different amounts between different credit cards. But his mom storms out and they argue again. That's right. Oscar yelling scene number five. And that's when JD's sister is like, hey, Papa was kind of a, a rough dad and could be abusive, and Mama lit him on fire once, and it was Mom when she was a girl who put him out. This is not really given, I feel like, the uh, sober weight that it should. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Considering it, this should be like, should be like, and I guess in the movie, maybe this is the knowledge that helps JD to start sympathizing with his mom. But one, it comes very late in his life. He's already a college student when he's learning a story that I know my family would have told many times mm-hmm. over and over yeah. again by this point. Uh, but also that uh, it's just kind of treated as like a pretty quick flashback when that's, again, like a, a horrifying thing. To I mean, again, in a, in I think family. the flashback structure of this movie is one of the deadliest parts of it. Like if we had seen a lot of this in a uh, sequence and allowed it to give time to breathe uh, by cutting out that flashback stuff. Like, yeah, it's important to understand that, you know what? Amy Adams uh, went through a lot of trauma as a child, which obviously contributed to her current state and uh, things are more complex than they seem. And uh, this also gets into a section of the movie I mean, I guess I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but like Glenn Close's character kind of becomes like, oh, she's like the tough love, like center of this movie. She's the one who's ultimately kind of going to like help uh, the main character get out of uh, this life. But she is shown as being kind of uh, a, a shitty parent herself. Like there's a story there in like someone who was a bad parent, realizes it, tries to be a better parent to their grandchild. And if it's given time to breathe and you see the complexity of that character, that would be good. But Glenn Close is seen mostly like yelling at this kid. And we see that she got like, she like set her husband on fire earlier. So it's hard to look at her as like the the avatar, like the center of morality in this movie that I think the movie kind of wants us to. I think there's an interesting, an interesting movie, there, a better movie there about a woman who is a bad mom 
but becomes a great grandma. Yeah. Much the opposite way that you could be a bad grandpa, like in the movie uh-huh. Bad Grandpa, mm-hmm. when by all accounts he seems to have been a fine mm-hmm. dad. Now, where does uh, a bad mom's Christmas fit into this scenario? Now they're like those well, it's moms. The second they're not movie, really Dan. bad, you know. <laughs> okay, thank <laughs> you. Says, yeah, that does fit. It is the second movie, uh, but like they're 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 not bad. Like like mama set your husband on fire. Bad. Right. They're bad. Like oh, let's be bad. Let's order more. Let's order two desserts. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of like not the sinful. I'm going to go to hell because I've committed you know avarice and I've and I've. Uh, profane the Lord, but more like sinfully decadent. Right. So wait, is the, the, wait, that's the, the first one, one is the cast of the Bad Moms franchise. Is that right, Elliot? Yeah. Or are you describing <laughs> so, uh, a series of movies that you, I'm guessing, haven't seen? No, no, I'm describing a well. I'm describing a movie, series of movies I've had relayed to me secondhand <laughs> in detail. Yeah, but I, I'm guessing the Bad Moms movies are not about them abusing their children and being. I, I, I'm not. I, I don't think it is. I, I feel like I'm safe in saying that the Bad Moms are bad in the same way. That bad teacher is bad, or bad Santa is bad. Where it's like, I'm breaking all the rules, but they're not bad, really. Bre- they're not. They're but they're not breaking so many rules that they're going. Yeah, they're to not bad lieutenants. Bad teacher is worse than <laughs> yes. bad moms, and bad Santa is worse than either of them. Bad moms are like, they're mostly just bad moms because they refuse to like make baked goods for the PTA. Exactly. That's, but whereas, like Stuart says, they're not as bad as bad mm-hmm. lieutenant. No, <laughs> no. Or bad no. lieutenant port of call in New Orleans. Or batter lieutenant. I mean, it's the <laughs> batter. No, that's when the lieutenant was fried in batter. Delicious. <laughs> mm. Anyway, so uh, uh, we go. Mom, uh, JD uh, finally tells his mom about his girlfriend, and they flash back to when his mom. And this is something. Another one of those things that comes as a huge surprise since they never mentioned it before. Apparently, married her boss, uh-huh. who became JD's stepdad. And the and this is this da- this stepdad is kind of. Uh, they it like hilariously just kind of like a bland awkward stepdad. Yeah. He's allergic to dogs, so JD cannot keep his dog. And uh, his new stepbrother is like, "Hey, you want to smoke uh-huh. pot with me?" And that's and that's like, "Uh oh, yeah. watch out!" They this smoke is a, a bunch of kid. weed, and he, like, and the stepbrother's yeah. got uh, a. He's got a vinyl. He's got a record of uh, Dimension Hate Tross by Voivod on the wall. I mean, this kid's fucking cool, dude. Yeah, you know he's you know he's a bad yeah, boy, this, this but like, like a, a bad mom's good... bad boy, not like not like a Jeffrey Dahmer bad boy. That's a bad boy. Wait, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> like that's as bad as boys get. I mean, I guess that's boys do not get boy. much better than. I guess that. you yeah. win this one, Elliot, with your Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> bad boy line. <laughs> uh, so, like when I saw the movie Bad Boys, I was like. These boys are gonna be bad, and then it was like, oh, okay, they're just kind of like dangerous, I guess. They, they don't follow. I mean, all the they rules, do drive not... through a, a to- an entire shanty town in Cuba and seem to be happy to crack jokes about it while it's happening. I mean, that's bad. That's bad, beha- bad behavior. Yeah. But all, at the same point, also they're men. Those are bad mm-hmm. men, that's and true. Ba- it's it's okay to like it's it's easy to laugh at a bad boy. It is not easy to laugh at a bad man. Mm. A bad man is trouble, nah, or uh, a Batman. A Batman is very easy to laugh at because he's like, oh, this is my voice now. <laughs> and it's like, there's no way that's your real voice. Come on. Yeah. No one talks like that. Uh, so uh, anyway, mom, she asks JD for a urine sample so she doesn't lose her job because she has been using drugs again. And he's like, no way, no way. You should lose your job. And mama is like, no, family is all that matters. You pee in that cup. And JD is like, you're both bad moms. And I don't mean like bad moms Christmas. <laughs> I mean like your moms who are detrimental to my yeah. upbringing. And he pees in the cup and does it. But JD is having his own troubles. He's failing at algebra because he doesn't have a graphing calculator. And this is one of those times where it's like, I know you don't know to ask and you're ashamed of your poverty. But his teacher keeps is giving him bad grades because he has does not have a piece of equipment he cannot afford. And it's like, I, I feel like 
this is one of those times where you should be like, teacher, I can't afford this. And the teacher would have been like, we'll sell that Lord of the Pit, idiot. <laughs> and there's like this is a you know this is not a, a wealthy part of the 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 school I mean like the country so you know presumably they don't have a lot of money for their own school supplies uh, so there's that but they do expect kids to have these expensive graphing calculators so it doesn't really jive I I, I it seems like they would have one or two around to like loan out to uh, more. I mean, growing up, I, re- more need. I remember I remember having to have one of those, and I remember hearing yeah. how much it costs and being like, what the fuck? Does it drive the car yeah. for and, me? Does it pick no, me up and, and, on and, time and, from soccer practice, mom? Your 1980s <laughs> stand-up <Yeah. laughs> graphing calculator material. Yeah, I'm testing it out <laughs> here on the Flophouse. <laughs> so that you can send yourself back in time through Skynet to, to do it when it was most relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Skynet's like, look, I'm about spreading smiles through time now instead of instead of causing violence. I've made my peace. All my talk with Dr. Susan Calvin has really paid off. So, Stuart, I, re- I want to bankroll your time-traveling comedy mm-hmm. tour. The problem with it is you keep having to go back further and further in time to when people haven't heard yeah. the jokes yet. So, uh, And also, you know, if he gets that graphing calculator, he's just going to play the games on it. Someone's going to give him Drug War, one of those other text-based graphing calculator games. Yeah. He's going to end up sp- spending his whole study hall doing that. Uh, he, anyway, but even worse, he lets his stepbrother's no good friends use Mama's car to go to a Home Depot and just kind of smash it up, and they crash the car on the way back. That's being a bad boy. Like, that's yeah. real bad yeah. boy stuff, as in, like, you shouldn't do that. Uh, 2011, this scene I wasn't originally going to mention, but it does have Oscar yelling scene number six, where they go to Amy Adams' current boyfriend's house to get her stuff, and it's just a shouting mm-hmm. match. Yeah. And J.D. is screaming at this guy through the door and is going to break the door down until a neighbor is like, stop it, I have children, what are you doing? Yeah. And I guess that's J.D. slipping back into the morass of his old old family yeah, he, ways. You know, he, they're pulling well, him down. what he did is he triggered his berserk uh, barbarian rage class ability, well, and you're like, fuck, well, I've already <laughs> used the ability for the day. I b- might as well get in a battle. Otherwise, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I love how the secret story of Hillbilly Elegy is how much how much it intersects with gaming. Yeah, I do want to briefly address the character of JD, who is not much of a character in his own story. I, th- you know, like I think there are uh, side characters who the movie would profit more by spending its time on. But like, is he like, what do we think of him? Because like, I have sympathy for anyone who grew up. Uh, uh, under difficult circumstances and had like a, a, such a trying family life. Uh, at the same time, he does seem to spend a lot of the movie like being a dick in his own way and like shoving his problems away and not like telling people what's going on, like not ever explaining to anyone what's happening. Uh, what do you think? Well, yeah. Well, that that's kind of the, what he. That's what kind of what he needs to learn. That's the lesson he needs to learn yeah. to rely on other people. But what were you yeah, gonna say, I mean, Stuart? I feel like you get the best sense of his character from his relationship with his girlfriend Usha, who he takes advantage of, he is dishonest with, uh, and he is generally not a very good boyfriend. And she is this like almost comically <laughs> understanding character. 
Yeah, she's well, the, and the scene—the scene that shows how much she loves him is when she's making, she's laughing at the way he says "syrup" instead of "syrup," uh-huh. <laughs> and it was like, is that what the, is that what the relationship is built around? Well, they love, that is not a strong foundation. <laughs> they love to bust each other's. And this is and this this is the woman who eventually becomes his wife yeah. in real life. Yeah, I believe they love to mess with each other, which immediately actually put me against this relationship because, <laughs> like, well, early on, he you know she's studying in the library and he brings her food, which is sweet, uh, but she is um, a not not excuse me. Me, sir excuse me sir as the husband and son of different librarians you do not bring food into no, the i know i know man. elliot i my mom is a librarian as well but i just or she was <laughs> wow. before she retired what but a cool argument i'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying if you want vermin eating away at the books then no, go ahead bring your lunch elliot, to the library. let me get to my actual point which is <laughs> look i understand that that is meant to be read as like this this sweet thing and uh, and maybe it is like he's like eat eat you got to eat but then she is understandably worried about the rules she's like no we're in a library and then he's like he pushes her basically back into like the stacks he's like okay you can eat here i'll be your lookout and then he does a bit where he pretends someone's coming and like you know get she's going to get in trouble and i'm like this is not nice to like <laughs> fuck with her like come on like this is like this is supposed to be charming banter in the movie i think but it just comes off as like you're not respecting her worries and then once she's like oh you know i will eat you're like fucking with her Mm -hmm. it is true that in a movie in a movie that is supposed to be a heartfelt real like gritty look at uh at life there is a lot of dialogue in it that smacks of that movie behavior where you're like oh if someone did this in real life they would be a they'd be a terrible person this is a mean thing to do it's got a little bit of that romantic comedy logic where you're like this is cute in the movie Uh but if I did this I would rightfully be shot (laughs) I mean Matt Ryan had a perfectly nice fiance in Sleepless in Seattle she didn't have to go start stalking Tom Hanks on his houseboat no, not at all. Well, this is also one of the problems I have with the movie Frozen, where there's a song in it where these trolls who don't need to be in the movie anyway are singing about how these two should obviously be in love, and he's and uh, uh, the guy is like, I can't remember his name, whether it's Sven or, no, because Sven is the reindeer, right? I, I can't remember. Know. Or Kristoff. I think it's Kristoff. He's like, but she's already engaged, and the trolls are like, hey, let's just get that fiancé out of the way, and you two can be together. And I was like, this is not a good lesson for kids, <laughs> that that you should just go and break up engagements if you feel like you're in love with that person. I mean, person. if something better anyway. comes along, you got to trade up. That's the rule, right? <laughs> no, that's gaming again. <laughs> Stuart, yeah. you're looking at life as a game again. That's not You don't level up in relationships. You only have so uh, many inventory so, slots. Theoretically, you only have one fiancé slot. You might as well take the better fiancé. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very much not theoretically. Like, for most people, realistically, practically, there's only one spot. But anyway, 1997, J.D.'s arguing with his mom, Oscar yelling number seven, and Mama, despite having pneumonia, leaves the hospital in order to uh, get there and say J.D.'s living from with her from now on so that he won't get into trouble anymore and wreck her car. Back to 2011, J.D.'s sister, who holds, like, 40 jobs and, sh- and should be in many ways the star of the movie, she's the one who actually has, like, the weight of this life falling down on her, says she's not the one who escapes and goes to Yale and becomes a fancy lawyer and writes a best-selling book. J.D.'s sister is like, Mom can't stay with me. Let's just put her in a hotel, and you should go to that interview in the next morning. Uh, and we flash to, uh, which is, you know, it's, we'll That's talk about it. Reason. It's like a— Voice of reason, but the lesson of the movie is also like abandon your family because you'll be better for them as a rich person than you are as a as a helping hand in the moment. Which is, I don't know. It feels like uh, the traditional storytelling method would be for them to turn their back on earthly riches in order to support <laughs> the ones uh-huh. they love 
but that's not the America we live in, I guess. And we flash back to Mama's throwing out JD's slacker friends. There's another argument, Oscar yelling number eight. This is firmly in the Mama is the, like, tough love uh, coach Uh section. Uh, JD gets caught trying to steal the calculator he needs. He learned it from his mom, stealing sports cards. Now he's stealing... You know, overpriced but relatively small consumer electronics. And having having been a Radio Shack store manager, I I felt this moment deeply because yeah, uh, shoplifting was like a constant, ever present threat and danger to the point where at <laughs> one point I was watching security footage and I saw a woman using her daughter's like her little school age daughter's book bag as a way to stash a camera she stole and i was like fuck this i am not cut out for this life yeah i was gonna ask how you handled and that's, and that's when you became you became a professional shoplifter you were like i'm on the wrong side <laughs> exactly, of these cameras yeah. I, I was gonna ask how you handled that story i mean like i you know i you know i was wondering whether this got Radio Shack flashbacks because the one time I worked in a small enough retail store that like I was there to kind of witness any uh, shoplifting. I briefly worked at a, a souvenir store in Savannah, Georgia, and this uh-huh. very like erratic. Uh, Dan, how have I not how have I not <laughs> yeah. heard any stories about this part of your life before? Uh, there, there are a couple. Did you wear a straw about- hat? <laughs> This was when I thought I was going to maybe go to film school, and I actually was in film school for three months, and I dropped out. This was at SCAD, uh, and I uh, worked at this store that was actually connected to Riverboat Tours. It was where you bought the tickets for the Riverboat Tours and then got your, like, photos afterwards and souvenirs. But this very erratic-seeming guy came in one time, and me and the other guy who worked there who was older, but we, like, bonded because we, like, would talk about horror movies – just like kind of watched it all happen we're like we're not <laughs> we're not intervening here yeah not like if this guy wants to steal a snow globe go ahead that <laughs> you decided your life or and and injury was not exactly. worth uh, was not worth that snow globe yeah there was definitely a time uh, so- where a guy stole a a fucking inbox new cell phone off the counter and <laughs> i chased after him for about half a block before i was like what the fuck would I even do if I caught it? <laughs> yeah. Like, would I like <laughs> slap the cuffs on him? Like citizens arrest? Oh, yeah. Like what the, f- like, I don't want to fight a guy. That's the thing. I think legally there's not even really like what you're not going to do. But it's this moment like of I- like, I don't know, this feeling like, how dare this guy steal this thing from me? I don't know. It was, I mean, it was dumb. Exactly. And, like it's, it's, oh, it, it was overwhelming and a little bit soul crushing is what is how and I you know reacted what, Stuart? to it. That's how uh, Radio Shack uh, failed. It got out of money because of that. <laughs> yeah, that loss. That was the that was the that was the straw that broke Radio Shack's yeah. back. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. guys. It wasn't Sorry. the fact that people don't need transistors anymore. <laughs> Sorry, the Shack. That was one of Stuart Wellington's patented flash shacks. <laughs> That's right. It's a Radio Shack flashback from Stuart <laughs> Wellington. Uh, patent pending, actually. Uh, so uh, JD gets caught trying to steal that calculator. Mama. Gets him out of the situation and buys it for him, but on the and starts yelling at him and gives him the speech about you are you going to try or are you not? This is Oscar yelling number nine, uh, and JD thro- is so mad he throws the calculator out the window, which is totally the kind of thing uh, I would have done as yeah. a kid. I would have gotten so pissed that I just need to get that energy out. Although what would happen with us is that my mom would be yelling at me in the car and I would open the door of the car as if I was just going to jump out and roll out, <laughs> and she'd and then she'd pull, reach over and pull the door shut and pull the car over and yell at me for that. You're a regular uh, ladybird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, exactly. Um, and but then he notices that so she she gets she has a hard time making ends meet. She gets meals on wheels, and she's really 
begging the Meals on Wheels delivery guy for extra food. This is, and then she shares half it with him. And this is like one of the more. Well, this is maybe to me the most powerful scene in the movie because it's not yelling. It's totally this character who up till now has been presented as like she's the strong, tough yeah. one in the family has to has to grovel and like make herself so abject and admit her poverty to this person in order to get what she needs to survive and for her grandson to survive. This was like, if more of the movie was in this manner of like matter of factiness and not yelliness, then it would be a different movie. Elliot, I 100% agree with you. Like this is the most affecting moment in the movie, partly because it's the only moment too, where anyone's nice to one another. Like the meals on (laughs) wheels guy is very understanding and she is very grateful that he's understanding, but also just like, yeah, it is a quiet moment that really sinks in. You know that this is a a person who's struggling and is proud, but wants to take care of uh, her grandson. And what's what's funny is the movie understands that because narrative yeah. wise, this is the thing that makes JD clean his shit up. And you're like, yeah. if yeah. if the movie knows that, why is it filled with so much other bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Like like That's why true. is it f- full of so many speeches that don't work? Is that the message that like coming up with uh you know little bits of I don't know like grandstanding speeches don't actually serve any purpose and don't work? It's these little moments of kindness or little moments of humility and honesty that actually you know you are searching I mean, for meaning where there is none. I think. Yeah. I mean, if the movie was aware of that as a message, it would be such. A, it would be a really strong movie, and I would res- I would be like, oh okay, I get what it's doing now. If it was like. All this yelling is is doesn't doesn't make the difference. But when you see someone as a human being and they touch you emotionally, that's when. But I don't. I actually think it's it's almost like um, the movie stumbled into into an affecting. <laughs> I mean, I'm not say stumbled. The people who made the movie are professionals. They know what they're doing. They've made great movies in the past. They just kind of like they're all, they're they, they took the wrong road in this movie, and they briefly by accident ended up on the right on ramp. To the right mm-hmm. road, and then they took another yeah. wrong turn. Maybe they needed gas, or they saw a Denny's, <laughs> and they're like, "I know it's Denny's, but I'm hungry. Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna stop there." And they kept going in their other way. Uh, JD, because he sees this, and he starts straightening up. He gets a job. He's working hard. He's trying think, at school. They, Suddenly, he's I think doing Man great. in Motion starts playing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, if only. What a needle drop that would be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's hey, probably, speaking of music, we uh, haven't addressed the fact that the say I think I think I think saving the day from Ghostbusters <laughs> starts playing. Speaking of music, we haven't addressed the fact that the main theme uh, for this movie, written by Hans Zimmer, is basically like a straight lift of the Game of Thrones theme music. Dun 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 dun. Like it's totally that. <laughs> is that what it was? I, I just heard I just heard a lot of strings and banjo, and I was like, I don't know. I, I checked out as soon as I started. There's a there's a certain so, sort of like a. Folksy, folksy corn pone music that I kind of ch- the same way with uh, Wild Mountain Time. I was like, "Who oh boy, I'm going to hear a lot of fiddle in the background." I can't of this believe one. you guys and didn't. I, like I fiddles, can't believe but... like I barely watched that television show, and even I like started imagining like castles rising in the hollers of Kentucky. <laughs> Stuart, I can honestly tell you that the music made absolutely no impact on me whatsoever. <laughs> wow, harsh I wish rebuke now that of Hans I wish... Zimmer's work. <laughs> now I wish I mean what are you the producers of the Simpsons <laughs> anyway so or is that Hans Zimmer or Alf Clausen I can't Alf remember the, uh, oh, that was Alf Clausen uh, the, uh, the now I wish that there were an opening title sequence where it was like Game of Thrones and there's just like rundown houses with old trucks mm-hmm. in front of them rising up in the forests <laughs> mm-hmm. and that would be nice anyway uh, 
We go to the, the present of the movie 2011. JD catches his mom doing drugs in the hotel and flushes them down. And she's like, please stay with me during the night. And he's like, and he has this cavalcade of family flashbacks, which you think is going to lead him to choose his family over his career. But instead he's like, I can't help you unless uh-huh. I get a good job. I'll see you tomorrow, maybe, the, mom. Uh, this and, scene uh, where he, he, uh, he, you know, he squirts out the heroin that was in the needle and then flushes the needle. And I was like... You can't flush a needle, and Char- no. Char- Charlene, like just staring at the screens, like, yeah, you can. Made me a little bit oh. nervous about who my wife really is, but whatever. It's not good for the yeah, pipes. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, it is bad for the pipes. It's I my I mean my life is a little bit more innocent. Uh, yesterday, my my toddler son was stuffing walnuts into uh, a public drainage pipe in a park, and I was like, ah, it's probably not good for that pipe. But are they yeah. organic walnuts? But, uh, yeah, they were organic models. They were from a tree. But that, that he was, and I said, I said, no, stop that. That's not good for that pipe. And he goes, no, it is. It is good. And I was like, there's no he's way. A, How do you know more about plumbing than He's appeasing the mole people, Elliot. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, I you, this it. is the no. thing. If you stop him, it could be catastrophic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. That would explain all the earthquakes in Los Angeles. The mole people are not getting enough walnuts. Um, <laughs> On the he he's like good luck mom uh, good luck with your addiction I got to go to this job interview and he drives all night his hands wet on the wheel because there's a voice in his mm-hmm, head that mm-hmm. drives his heel it's his baby calling she says I need you here and he does call her on the drive and apologizes to his girlfriend and she says I'm gonna stay up all night with you and keep you awake while you're driving and again uh, like bending over it, backwards to help this guy mm-hmm, like this guy yeah, who and, can't uh, seem to catch a break has probably the the greatest break in a partner who is doing all this work for him well especially because. As we will see, she's willing to run like out of the apartment down to the uh, job interview and be like, oh, we're going to be late, except for that's a trick. It's a trick. He, he's like, I'm never going to make it. She goes, I'll run down and I'll tell them. And then she goes to the door and opens it. JD's right there on the phone. He got. He could have just walked in the house a couple minutes yeah. ago, but instead he decided to play this last little teaser prank on her, which is and he stupid. Had, and he yeah. had the Don't time to that. set up the prank, so he must have been driving shockingly fast. Dangerously yes, yeah. fast. Uh, now, <sighs> now I don't know why. I wish now. This is going back to earlier in the movie when she, he called her for silverware uh, help. I wish that it had become an Apollo thirteen type scene, also directed by Ron Howard, where she was like, "Describe the place setting to me," and she was just pulling th- silverware from her own home to make a simulation place mm-hmm. setting so that she could see what he was seeing and tell him what he could use. Mm-hmm. Guys, would that would that have been funny? It would have been too much. I think it would have been too much. I would have preferred kind of a more modern approach where she closes her eyes and enters her own memory palace of going into yeah. oh, her, me- her memory yeah. restaurant, <laughs> which is, I guess, what you could call uh, uh, scenes from an Italian That's restaurant. True. <laughs> so, OK, uh, but the movie anyway. So the very end of the movie, J.D. gets to his interview and then we get a V.O. about how he owes everything to his family. And then it's just like after movie text about how he's been super successful and now everybody's doing great. Mm-hmm. And the message of the movie is they are no longer just a bunch of poor hillbillies. Now they are some rich hill Williamses. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, you, you're fact, not allowed to make that face when you make that joke, Elliot. <laughs> and again, Wait, let me make nope, it some more. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. This is one last, this is one final way. I feel like the framing unbalances this movie because I, because it makes him getting this law job, the ultimate, triumph and i feel like it like not only is the message of this movie like the political message of this movie kind of non-existent the emotional message of the movie to me is kind of incomprehensible because it makes a big like part of the movie is always about like oh family family is the most important thing family is the most important thing so that could be like a fine message for a movie i don't know if i necessarily agree with it but it's fine 
or the message of the movie could be uh, what it ultimately kind of points at. Like some people can't be helped. Sometimes you need to like be good to yourself and uh, understand that like you, you do what you can, but then let it go. But the way the movie ends, putting so much weight on this like job makes it really feel like, okay, the message of the movie is leave your drug addicted mom behind and get a high powered lawyer job. Yeah, like you owe everything to your family, so jettison them like a booster rocket <laughs> exactly. that got you out of the atmosphere because they are useless to you right now. They are uh, they are so many tons of space junk <laughs> that are just weighing you back. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I think it's, on some level it's going for the idea that like in order to move forward in as a as a human, you need to mm. understand where you come from and come to grips with your past trauma, uh, and. May and that should let you, you know, I don't know, self actualize or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, that is an excellent message that I could not find in this. That's movie. the thing. I, I no, it, you know, there. I feel like their uh, their reach is shorter than their goals. Yeah, their arms are too short to box with. Not God exactly, but certainly Leon yeah. Spinks for sure. Hercules, uh, maybe. <laughs> it definitely it feels like a movie made by someone justifying why it was okay for them to leave their drug addicted mom <laughs> yeah. in a hotel room while they drove away to new haven to interview for a fancy yeah. job yeah um okay well let's just do final judgments on this movie whether it's a good bad movie a bad bad movie a movie we kind of liked uh before i get into mine i just want to say like look um i grew up in a small town we were not wealthy but we certainly did not i've never in my life had to like feel uh, financially insecure in the way that these people have or dealt with so much hardship. So if I've said anything foolish along the way, I apologize. I know that I've had a privileged way of it, but this movie, oh boy, it's not good folks. Not good folks. It's a, uh, it's just like a lot of like very competent to good effort has been put into making the movie. But the movie just shouldn't have been made in this form. It feels uh, uh, deeply confused. I have no idea why this movie was made other than to show us sort of a parade of misery. Yeah, I, it feels like a... Uh, it, it, the movie was described to me ahead of time as poverty porn, and it feels like that often, uh, which is, if anything, the worst kind of porn, mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Uh, you can barely masturbate to it. Barely. If you're a bear, you can do mm-hmm. it. But Good bears can masturbate to anything. bears. Uh-huh. I know that. <laughs> so if you can uh, come Dan, please stop. as a please bear. Stop. <laughs> I don't like that you're making this your new motto. <laughs> uh, but I, I second uh, what Dan said. I, I, have come from, I did come from a, you know, a privileged middle-class upbringing. I lived in an affluent town. Uh, and... The but uh so I apologize if I was misunderstanding the life of the of the underprivileged but as a movie it is it is unaffecting and it seems very mixed up and not yeah. the movie does not quite, seem quite sure of what it is doing or what it is trying to get at and is hoping that if it just muddles along it'll get there so I would call it best picture probably mm. uh, Stuart what okay, do you say so it's my turn so the first thing I do is I apologize so uh, <laughs> you got well, about, but it, uh, apologize for something other than what no, we apologize for I just, for. Acknowledge, for I just wanted to acknowledge that like we're, we're talking uh, not necessarily from a place of expertise about some of this that's uh-huh. all also uh, I'm, I'm a uh, big I, dumb idiot so I say dumb stuff mm-hmm. all the time <laughs> yeah uh, 
I mean, Stuart is coming from an expertise in the realm of uh, collectible card yeah, games. I guess yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, I can I can put Esquire <laughs> on my uh, business card. My business card, of course, being a rare Magic the Gathering trading card that I am willing to hand people because I have so many. Uh, no, I, this is a bad, bad movie. Uh, it feels wrongheaded structurally. It doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't really seem to have any kind of a message. And uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like a collection of like Oscar swing uh, scenes thrown together. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, no thank you. Uh, no Thank bad, you. bad. No, thank you, but no thank you. Welcome. Thank you. No problem. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. What do you look for in a podcast? Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say comfort. What do you think of this? Oh. That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now? Soon. Jordan Jesse Go, a real podcast. I started listening to Ono Ross and Carrie shortly after I broke my arm. I couldn't get my book started. I was lost, honestly. I knew it was time to make a change. There's something about Oh No, Ross and Carrie that you just can't get anywhere else. They're thought leaders, discoverers, founders. I'd call them heroes. Ross and Carrie don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. They take part themselves. They show up so you don't have to. But you might find that you want to. My arm is better. I wrote an entire book this weekend. It, it's terrible, but I did it. Just go to MaximumFun.org. Thank, Thank you, Ross, Ross and Carrie. Oh, no, Ross and Carrie is just a podcast. It doesn't do anything. It's just sounds you listen to in your ears. All these people are made up. Goodbye. Hey, guys. It's just a quick solo drop-in by Dan. Uh, we forgot to mention on our original recording that um, you can still see the Flophouse live show uh, for another couple of days. If you didn't see it live, if you didn't buy a ticket before, you can still buy a ticket now. Uh, watch the show, the recorded version of it, um, and that will be available, I believe, until midnight on February the 14th, midnight on Valentine's Day. You could cuddle up with someone and watch the flop house talk about Teen Wolf, what could be more romantic. And um, the new shirts, the beautiful shirts, uh, the Rocket Crocodile one and the one of all of us as Teen Wolves, or middle-aged man-wolves, uh, will be available until the uh, the end of that period as well. So if you still want to take a moment uh, and watch that live show before February the 14th uh, at midnight, when it will expire like Cinderella's coach, uh, you can go get tickets at theflophouse.simpletix.com theflophouse.simpletix.com and if you want uh, one of the new shirts the Rocket Crocodile shirt or the Teen Wolves Flophouse shirt you can go to www.bonfire.com slash store 
slash Flophouse Tour Store. Thank you to the person who uh, emailed me saying that I should use, um, you know, shorter, easier to understand URLs. Uh, you are correct. Um, I did not set them up, though, so don't uh, always assume that everything that is done wrong at the Flophouse is done because of me. But in the future, we'll have better, easier to understand or remember URLs. But the store is, again, www.bonfire.com slash store slash Flophouse Tour Store. Now, back to the regular show. Okay, so let's... Guys, I think we can call this one Hillbilly Elegy Elegy. Not Shillbilly Smellogy. <laughs> that would be the Mad Magazine version of it. Ugh. If only. Oh, I want to see that so badly now. <laughs> yeah. So, the Flophouse is sponsored in part by Squarespace. Uh, if you use Squarespace's services, you can create a beautiful website to promote or just get your cool idea out there, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and much, much more. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful, customizable templates created by world-class designers, everything optimized for mobile right out of the box, a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions, free and secure hosting, Hey, why don't you go over, if this interests you, to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code flop to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, guys, I had an idea for a website kind of based on today's movie. And I was wondering if Squarespace might be able to help us. And uh, Dan, maybe, oh, wow. maybe you can help me. Kind of came out of nowhere, but that's okay. Yeah, uh, so I was wondering, we see so many warm-weather hillbillies. Mm. Uh, they live in the south. It's much warmer uh -huh. there. Uh, but I was wondering, what about the colder hillbillies? And that's why at www.chillbilly.com, you can find your news about the chilliest billies. That's right, hillbillies who live in cold areas and... Again, we call them chillbillies. They also are super cool, not just cold, and that's why they chill. So at chillbillies.com, it's your place online for cold weather, uh, rural, uh, you know, poverty line uh, stereotypes. Oh, wow. Okay. Is, uh, is this like <laughs> sure. a meetup site or is it like, <laughs> is it like fiction? What's going on? Yeah, no, well, I mean, the meetup site is our app, Billable, <laughs> which is, uh, that's... That's for a hillbilly meetup site. But it's just a place where you can swap stereotypes, uh, make crude caricatures, uh, and pretend to be them in multi-million dollar uh, movies for award consideration. So that's chillbilly.com, chillbilly.com, and use offer code. We don't have one. There's nothing to buy on the site. So <laughs> I suddenly got really worried about these made-up uh, URLs that you do, Elliot. I'm, I, like, this is one of the ones that I feels like it might actually exist, and I'm... It might exist. Well, Jordan, if this one exists, please cut this part out. And if it doesn't exist, please buy that buy domain, that domain yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, Guys, I just checked. I just checked. www.chillbilly.com is for oh, sale. Wow. Okay. So We're safe. It is available. We're safe. Okay. Uh, um, let me see <laughs> if I have enough money on these five credit cards. <laughs> now there is another. Uh, now I want it. This is a movie idea. This is not okay. a. Uh, this is not a, uh, a show. But I was worrying about uh, uh, Chili Willy elegy, <laughs> which is uh, which would be the, the story of Chili Willy's upbringing the, and how difficult penguin, it was. The cartoon penguin. This is the one. You're... Yeah, this is the cartoon penguin uh -huh. Chili Willy. Okay. Yeah, this is what like a dirge you sing after his passing. 
exactly. Tales of his yeah, yeah. Uh, adventures. The scald sings because it at his got, Viking funeral. He, he, <laughs> well, because he's gone from the cold of Antarctica to the ultimate cold yeah. of the grave. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to letters. Unless, wait, Elliot, you look like you might have something to plug. Uh, I do have something to plug. Uh, in stores now, that's right, because it came out Wednesday, February 3rd, which again is after we're recording this, but before it will be released, is number one of Maniac of New York. That's right, Maniac of New York, number one from Aftershock Comics by me and Andrea Muti. It's uh, the story of basically what if uh, The Wire, was instead of being about drugs, was about Jason Voorhees, and is set in New York City. So there's an unstoppable killer. He's been a problem in New York for years. Everyone's kind of given up except for two crusading people, a mayoral aide and a uh, an outcast uh, police officer, police detective. And they're going to try to take this monster, this slasher killer down. Will they be able to do it? Find out in Maniac of New York, number one from Aftershock Comics, in stores now. Go to your local comic book store or mail order it for them if you don't want to go out of the house, which I understand. And real quick, Dan, uh, sure. when is this, when's this episode uh, dropping? This episode one second should come out on the thirteenth of February. Okay, so that means Valentine's. Yeah, that means as a special Valentine's Day gift for yourself or others, it is the last if you're listening to this on the day it drops, it is the last day for our limited run, our exclusive run of live show t shirts. Uh oh. if you go to the uh the Flophouse Pod uh Twitter account, uh you'll find mm-hmm. links to those shirts there. They are great. Uh, and they're exclusive to just that week. So if you miss them, you miss them. So hopefully you got a chance to grab one. These are some great designs. I've liked our past designs, but these are my favorite designs that oh, we've ever had. Oh, wow. Uh, they're really they good. They are very good designs. Um, but let us move on to... Dan's favorite subject. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> let us move on. Oh, God, you got him. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> that's man. So, uh, caught that's him. so Stick raven. Stick a fork in him. Um, now, okay, so uh, letters from listeners, listeners like you. This one's from John, last name withheld. John Lasseter, uh, no, Pixar. Uh, well, there's no, um, no, there's no. I hope not. There's no H, so I can only assume it's new to Twitter, John Stewart. Um, yeah. Hey, hey, Peaches, my daughter, 13, also an avid listener. I don't recommend that. The, but uh, your, daughter's name, your daughter's name is 13? That's cool. Yeah. Um, like the, yeah, very similar to the character three from Peanuts. <laughs> remember that <laughs> when there was a character uh, who just had a number as their name. Anyway, I kind of remember it. Not not particularly. Are you thinking of Pigpen? No, no, no. There was a whole like gag. It was basically the uh, nineteen early nineteen sixties uh, uh, Charles Schultz version of making fun of like kids have the craziest names these mm-hmm. days. They don't. They don't have good names like uh, like Linus <laughs> or Schroeder uh, <laughs> or Shermy. Whatever happened to normal kid names like Shermy? <laughs> uh, my daughter thirteen. Wait, no, Dan. I always assume Schroeder was his last name. Do you think it's his no, first name? No, I think it's his last name. I I, I think you're right there. Um, my daughter thirteen. There are two Patties in that strip. There's peppermint Patty and regular Patty. <laughs> That seems. I mean, that's. <laughs> well, that's why they call her Peppermint Patty, Dan, to keep them apart. They do the same thing on The Bachelor. When there's multiple patties, one's regular patty, one's Peppermint <laughs> Patty. It seems like Charles Schultz could have come up with a different name. But anyway. Uh, my daughter, 13, also an avid listener, is thinking about making a movie for a community student film competition. Uh-huh. Her idea is a comedy horror movie. Something along the lines of Jaws meets scary movies starring our cat as Jaws. Mm-hmm. 
Question mm-hmm. to you filmic geniuses is what are your best tips to make the plot beats hit the best for making dumb gore work and be funny and any other tips for making a horror comedy short 15 minute tops uh, hit the best. Yours in floptasticness, John, last name withheld. It sounds like I, she should definitely make this mm-hmm. movie. There is no reason not to make a movie if you want to make a movie. Uh, and my my first tip, sorry to jump in, guys, ahead of time. My That's first fine. tip would be to, like, not worry about the plot that much. Like, for a short, it's going to be more important to you probably to just keep it entertaining and funny and keep uh-huh. the energy moving. And you, you don't want to get bogged down with plot stuff, you know? Keep the plot as simple and straightforward as you can. Unless the joke is that the plot is really complicated, and then just have have fun making it fun. From what yeah, yeah from I, what I, little I've learned from watching TikToks, uh, the key is editing. Uh, if you want to um, get last, make it uh, mm. do a lot of quick editing. Yeah, well, edits cuts are funny. Like there's certain types of things that are funny and without cuts, but a lot of times a quick cut is funny. Uh, Yes, if you make the cut part of the joke. I, I actually was going to say another thing, which is a little bit opposed, but I think uh, I trust our listeners to be smart enough to hold both ideas in their head, which is um, sometimes it is funnier to also just let things play out and long. Like uh, a, a slapstick thing, often just like seeing the full thing is the funny way, and modern movies have forgotten that. Oh, I will say that's true. Slapstick is funnier without yeah. cuts. It's like uh, it's like the, the are... scenes in Children of Men where Alfonso Cuaron just does one long take. Those were hilarious. Oh, th- yeah. That movie was so funny. <laughs> that movie is so funny. That's why Birdman is hilarious. That's why The Revenant is hilarious. <laughs> that's why Rope is hilarious. Rus- that's Russian why Ark. <laughs> Russian Ark yeah, is a laugh fucking riot. Uh, <laughs> sorry that your daughter had to hear me curse just then. Uh, but yeah, I, I it's uh, see, let the moment tell you how best it should be made. Don't don't stick to a theory, but let the moment tell you. But I would but I would I would still just say like make it uh make it as fun to watch as you can and don't worry like the best movies, the ones that people remember the most, people very rarely remember how the plot goes. Yeah. This is something that Howard Hawks believed in was he said people don't watch movies for plots, they watch them for scenes and they remember scenes. They don't remember plots. I think he went too far with that until eventually he was making movies that were just about dudes hanging out at racetracks and <laughs> or hanging out on a safari. But uh you need some plot, but don't worry that the plot is gonna be the thing that like makes or breaks you. Yeah. You know? If you've got like yeah, if you got like interesting gags in it, I, I don't know. I'm remembering now I uh there was a video I was supposed to make for French class in high school. And it was not supposed to be horror, but because I'm who I am, I'm like, I'm going to put some horror stuff in there. And it was like a French class uh, video where it involved me accidentally cutting my arm off. And I uh, I made one of those things where, like, there's a fake... I, I used an old shirt, and I made, like, a fake forearm to put on my real arm, and then I put a glove around it. I don't know why my character was wearing a glove, but so it looked like... The the glove was fake, but it looked like my hand holding my real arm. I hope that that explanation made sense so, to yeah. people listening. Uh, and then out of my uh, little stump, I had one of those squirt bottles, uh-huh. and I just like squirted blood out of it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I guess my advice is do something like that. Yeah, that sounds great. And so, what was the uh, what was French about it? Oh, we were speaking in French. <laughs> Oh, okay. You're like, oh, monster. Yeah, Elliot, yeah, you don't exactly. think French people can get their Suits arms cut off? 
<laughs> You're right. French people are just as likely as anyone else to get their arms cut off. Very fair. Um, we we got one last uh, email here. It's from Ben Last Name Withheld, who says, Ben Ten. We all Shit. know that Psycho Gorman is the next Star Wars, both in the breadth of its cultural impact and in that every background character will eventually have at least 12 extended universe books about them. Uh-huh. Yep. Stuart, until then, what can you tell us about Tube Man's backstory? Where did he go to high school? What are his goals, his dreams? What does he smell like when they pop that helmet off? For the rest of the floppers left in the shadow of Stuart's artistic legacy, uh-huh. yep. legacy what yeah. character with little screen time do you wish for more backstory on? I'm, I'm sorry I did not send you this last... Uh, <laughs> Part of the question, I forgot no, it was cool, there. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's uh, uh, yeah. I mean, this is tough. I, you know, when it, when I inhabit a role, you know, mm. I just mm. let it kind of take, uh, like the that like character spirit inhabit me, as opposed to like to flow into my body and then out of my mouth, because uh, I'm a, you know, I'm mainly a voice actor. Uh, but so I don't, I try not to overthink it too much. I'm kind of primal, um, almost animalistic when I perform. You guys have seen it, right? Where I'm like, I, I do that like little ritual where I growl a little bit and I, uh, I, uh-huh. I have to take my shirt off. The pants stay on. I'm not a Winnie the okay. Pooh. I keep the pants on, but I do. <laughs> no, you're a I Mickey do, Mouse. I do roll the, the cuffs of my pants up a little bit so that it gives me the impression of having nudity on the bottom half of my body without actually, you know, going all the way into it. So I do all that. And then I kind of like, I move around and I get very tactile. I touch everything and I make faces kind of like what a, like if I was an animal, what an animal would do. And doing that takes me to this kind of like, it takes my brain to this like kind of like lower, almost like subconscious. And that allows this, the character in this case, tube man to just kind of flow in through my ears and Mm -hmm. then comes, just passes my brain entirely and flows right out of my mouth. So that's what I do. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, as to the question of backstories, I'm going to – this may be cheating, but I'm going to uh, just sort of rail against the idea that side characters need backstories at what? all. What? Uh, well, like, part of it is like I think that there's this – I think it's kind of a modern affliction where people seem to start feeling like not knowing about – every single character is a flaw rather than like part of what makes movies work like like it is good to find something mysterious about this like to imagine whatever you can imagine is is much greater like we rewatched i rewatched uh peewee's big adventure with friends recently and there's a scene in there where apparently originally there was a whole backstory to amazing larry like why there's this guy who has this colorful mohawk in the the scene in the basement where Pee-wee's laying out all the uh, clues. Uh, but he works so much better just as, like, he's whispering something and Pee-wee says, Is there something you can share with the rest of us, Amazing Larry? And, like, the shocked <laughs> cut to this guy with a crazy mohawk. And you're like, whatever backstory you have for Amazing Larry is better than, like, finding out in that deleted scene. Yeah, I think I think it is. Uh, I was talking to someone recently about how if they made if Disney made Snow White and the Seven Dwarves now, they'd be like, "Great, perfect. We're announcing movies for each of the dwarves. Mm-hmm. Then we'll do the prequel. We find out how they met each other, and it's not anything that we don't need that stuff." That being said, 
in the beginning of Singing in the Rain, there's a, a actress named Zelda who shows up at the movie premiere, and this guy in the crowd hops to his feet and goes, Ah, Zelda! Ah! <laughs> and every time we see him, my family laughs and laughs. So I want to know what that guy's about and whether he brings that same level of enthusiasm oh, to everything yeah. else. Oh, yeah, you don't want to know more about Zelda. You just want to know about the guy. I want to know about that guy who's just like, his eyes are popping out yeah. of his head. He's so excited to see her. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about this. I'm going to go back on what I said a little bit. I'm gonna, I don't want to say too much about this because I've been toying with writing like a humor piece about it for a while. Like it's been in the back of my head. But no, don't, don't give away the trade secrets, yeah. Dan. <laughs> I just want to know the story of the guy in uh, It's a Wonderful Life who sits down by the uh, lever that opens the gymnasium uh, pool and what his deal is, why he's hanging out there waiting for someone to like be like, hey, you know, you're jilted by your uh, woman, huh? You know, that there's a pool under here that you could open up. Like, what's his story? <laughs> he just loves swimming. Yeah. They don't get to use that pool very much. Uh, let's get into recommendations, movies you definitely should watch instead of Hillbilly Elegy. And I want to recommend something related uh, to this movie in a way, thematically. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's called Deliverance. <laughs> Damn, no, come no. on. It's called I'm Wrong so, Turn 2. <laughs> <laughs> Another wrong turn. I am... Uh, sur- Guys, you'll never believe this. I think we took... Another wrong turn. I mean, that's the premise of the movie, Elliot. I am surprised that this hasn't been officially recommended on the podcast before, but my Googling says it has not. Um, the Florida Project does everything right that this movie does wrong about, you know, showing people who are in dire financial straits. Like, it has uh, a lot of sad stuff in it, but it has a lot of joy. It is presented... Um, you know, very matter-factly, the day-to-day lives. You have characters who are doing occasionally dumb or unsympathetic things because they are stuck in a situation that um, uh, sort of, like, doesn't allow for them to make mistakes, unfortunately. Um, And it is, like, filled with quiet moments and humor and joy along with the dramatic stuff. And I think it paints a much more sort of full and sympathetic picture of what it is to be uh, forced to live life, you know, oh, on, in yeah, such on a precarious fringe. way. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, the I Florida love Project. Yeah, I love that movie. It's um, like not just because uh, for some of the like filmmaking feats that they managed to accomplish, but also like Willem Dafoe's performance is so great. And also yeah. the, yeah. the, uh, the performance from the children who I'm, I'm assuming they did not realize they were like playing characters in a movie, right? Like, <laughs> they're I mean, so they natural. knew they were playing characters. I, I, I knew they were playing characters, but they, they got natural performance. Uh-huh. I it's don't a think similar, it's a, they, like, I'm sure they utilize a similar method to what I use when I do uh, performing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I don't think it was one of those things where they like hypnotized them and were like, "This is your life now." <laughs> is that a thing that happens? <laughs> it's how the, it's how they got some of uh, Grace Kelly's oh, best yeah. performances out of her. Uh, uh, yeah, you go, Elliot. Okay, I'm going to recommend a movie also about, I guess, uh, expensive academic situations. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so I guess that connects to it. This is a movie that's on Amazon right now. It's called Sella and the Spades. And it was written and directed by Tayarisha Poe. And it's set at a kind of like fancy boarding school where there's five like kind of 
five-family type setup where there's groups of students that kind of run the student body. And our main character, Sela, is the leader of a group called the Spades, who are in charge of drugs and other illicit substances. And it's kind of about her as someone who is trying to maintain this facade of just total composure and confidence all the time while she is uh, up against the pressures of this kind of criminal social life and also the pressures from home to be like the best student she can be and not get into trouble. And she becomes friends with a younger student who she decides is going to be her uh, her heir in this position, but then starts to have a falling out with her when she her suspicions grow. And the movie, like... It starts off and it feels like it's going to be kind of like a Wes Anderson-y type thing, mm. which I like Wes Anderson-y, Wes Anderson-y stuff, but I worry that other people can't quite pull it off. And then it does not become that at all. It feels very much like a, a movie that could have been about its plot, but is about, 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 uh, instead about these characters existing and interacting. And there are a number of scenes that re- where I was like, oh, this is what – this really feels like what it's like to be a, like a teenager and have to kill time or be excited about something mm. or be like worried about something. I thought – it was a really – it's more elliptically told than I thought it might be, and I thought it was uh, really affecting that way. So I would say Sella and the Spades, if you want to see kind of like a teen movie that feels um, more poetic than your normal teen movie with a plot like that might sound. Okay, and I'm going to recommend a movie. Let's tie this to Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, this is a movie about – we know it's Psycho Gorman, Stu. Uh, just, it's just go. complicated relationship between grandparents and children. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie on Shudder called Anything for Jackson. Uh, yeah. It's a horror movie about a older couple who uh, decide to, they kidnap a pregnant woman in order to perform a reverse exorcism and bring back their grandson. And uh, it is a... It's a funny, uh, well-made, well-performed, very efficient uh, scare machine. It is uh, just by like scares per scares per moment. You're going to get more uh, than your average horror movie. Uh, I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Yeah. Give it a shot. Anything for Jackson. Ah, good SBM score. Yeah, the SBM score is is super high. If you're looking for just like a fun horror movie night, I think it's a great choice. I will put it on my watch list. Um, but okay, Dan. I mean, I, I noticed uh, that you very prominently did not say I'll put it on my watch list after you my know, recommendation. You sounded like a kind sure. of a like a you know maybe too good. Yeah, a lot of veg- <laughs> a lot of vegetables. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but it's a good movie. All right, uh, uh, how do I make it sound trash here? Uh, and and uh, one of them is a, is a murderer who has a demon in her in her butt. Uh, okay, and well now to, you're. And so it's telling it's telling her to like to kill to kill everybody. Uh, but it's at a carnival. It's like a haunted if it carnival. Was Dan and, Elliot, and, and, you should be uh, you should be pitching it at like a haunted girls boarding school. Okay, yeah, fair. It's at, it's at a it's a at a haunted girls uh, pillow fight academy. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> You have my interest. Um, it's it's called it's called Saint Nighty's yeah. Academy. So uh, let's make an. I'm going to make an effort for once to uh, see if I can end this podcast quickly and efficiently. Okay. And Didn't say, Dan, it. just pretend, pretend, yeah, pretend this podcast is your drug addicted mom in a hotel room, and just say <laughs> goodbye and drive off to New Haven. Uh, uh, we'd like to thank Jordan Cowling for editing the show. We would like to thank everyone at Maximum Fun. Uh, for having us on their network, why not go over to MaximumFun.org, check out uh, the other podcasts on there. I listen to 
several of them myself. Uh, they are a well-curated, wonderful bunch. Um, and if you have the time, please spread the word about the Flophouse wherever uh, you think it might be effective. But until next time, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'll be Elliot Kalen next time, too. Bye. Bye. On this episode, we discuss Hillbilly Elegy. The latest installment in the Barney Google Snuffy Smith cinematic universe. Also yeah. pretty good. Mine is more, yeah. uh, you know, contemporary with all the cool teens listening to Rob Zombie now. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.